Welcome in to the Corner Three. Taking you around the arc of college basketball. From the NAAC to the Pac-12, the WCC to the SWAC. We cover it all now on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. Wow. Feels like it's been a minute. Feels like it has been a minute. But I'm back. I'm here live and in person for the Corner 3 Talking college hoops for the next hour, joined by Matt Hardesty. Matt, nice quarter zip, looking sharp. How are you, my friend? Doing good. Got to wear the Sunday best. I appreciate that. You dress up for the show. I didn't ask you to. You just you just know what it's about. Um, topics for the day for people that want to chime in. We'll talk about Gonzaga going to the Big 12, question mark, at least in uh, Commissioner Yormark's mind. That is the goal. We'll talk about Kansas getting off light again and what that means for Kentucky, how they can extend their all-time wins lead. I'm sure we'll touch on that. And happy birthday, Fred Hoiberg. If I could give Coach Hoiberg one gift, what would it be? If you have answers to any of those questions, let us know, 402-464-5685. That's the number two, the Sarder Heyman text line. Uh, you can call us if you want, I suppose. Someone's still in the building to take it or just comment on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter. All right, let's just dive right in here, Matt. Gonzaga to the Big 12. I brought up Gonzaga to the Big East at one point. I still think that's the better fit. Catholic school, basketball focused. But the Big 12 would be a fascinating fit for Gonzaga too because of what Matt Norlander, one of our, our favorites, was reporting. He's with uh, CBS Sports. Um, he says that what Brett Yormark wants to do is take the Big 12 back to the market at the end of the decade. So probably come 2028, 20, 29, start getting a new media rights deal worked on. So by 2030, the Big 12 would have two separate media deals, one for football and one for basketball. That in itself is completely fascinating to me. Right now, it's just conference by conference, pretty much every sport. I mean, it's football, it's basketball, baseball here and there, men's and women's basketball, obviously, and volleyball, I guess, to some degree. But to really split it up between you know, two different sports, your two major sports, your two revenue driving sports, basketball and football. Dare I say with the, the departure of Texas and Oklahoma, the big 12 could get a better basketball deal than football deal. It it's going to be close. Uh, first off, welcome back, Austin. It's, it's good to be back and it's good to have you back. Um, but yeah, I, if you're a college basketball fan, I feel like you kind of have to be rooting for the big 12 to, pull this off and both add Gonzaga and then become, I mean, they're already the most elite college basketball conference in the country right now. Mm -hmm. And if they, if they pull this off and if some of these new additions they're bringing in, you know, hold up their end of the bargain, like Arizona, uh, even like Cincinnati, if they get back or if Colorado can build off of a good year this year, and then you throw in Gonzaga on top of that. Um, I think that would do wonders for, you know, I, I think college basketball fans really want to be rooting for more of this, you know, separating into their own thing, separate of football, because that could lead to, hey, maybe we have different conferences for basketball than than football. They do that in some of the smaller sports, but right. uh, but at the, and even in hockey, they do it differently, I right. believe. So, like, why not basketball where it makes a little more sense, you know? logistically of playing multiple games a week to set up conferences a little differently. So hopefully, hopefully this works out and hopefully 
you know, they actually do get a pretty good deal uh, on the open market if if they can uh, add Gonzaga and who knows how else. I also agree, though, like would have been more fun, like stylistically to put Gonzaga in the Big East. But with uh, with the Pac-12, you know, expand or Big 12 expanding <laughs> westward, it really makes a lot of sense for them to, to snag Gonzaga now and, you know, maybe even try to poach another uh, West Coast team or two. San Diego State. <clears throat> Sorry, I had to clear my throat there a little bit. Um, <laughs> Gonzaga to the Big 12 is not being driven by Gonzaga. That to me is the other fascinating part about this is that Gonzaga being there in the, you know, Seattle area, that's a that's a good basketball city. There's a lot of talent that comes from there. Uh, the Jamal Crawford Pro-Am that goes on draws eyeballs, draws stars there. It's a, it's a town, it's an area, a city that absolutely loves its basketball. But Gonzaga isn't huge, not a big school by any stretch of the imagination. And yet, Brett Yormark thinks enough of Gonzaga to go after it on the West Coast. Like you said, probably try to get someone else in there as well. But this wasn't Gonzaga coming to the Big 12 saying, hey, we're interested. Come talk to us. We'll have these discussions. It wasn't even the schools going to Brett Yormark and saying, hey, we really need Gonzaga. If we're going West, let's go get him. This was driven, again, according to Matt Norlander and the calls that he made, this was driven by Brett Yormark, the commissioner of the Big 12. There have been a couple interesting stories about him out there. I think ESPN did one, too, about his attitude when he took over as commissioner just how aggressive he was being and that in a lot of ways, the ADs and the chancellors and presidents down the line don't want to rein him in necessarily, but they're trying to get him back on track and kind of, kind of guide him more than anything. He has the right energy, the right enthusiasm for this era of college athletics and expansion. But the other thing that Norlander said was there's a lot of questions that the big 12 would have to answer before they add Gonzaga. And that's where I think your mark might be trying to bite off more than he can chew but what's the harm in at least asking? Exactly. And I do, you know, Gonzaga, along with North Dakota State, are kind of the two schools out there where I'm kind of just looking at them like, oh, come on. Like, I get that they have realistic reasons for not wanting to, you know, move on up and get into a bigger league or or in North, North Dakota State's case, uh, you know, move up to the FBS level and, you know, there's academic reasons too, but I mean, come on, like you put enough money in where you at least have a fighter's chance of being a consistently successful program. So why not take a risk and completely change the trajectory of your university with a massive influx of cash? Uh, Gonzaga, I think also, I mean, it's a risky gamble from your mark, both in, you know, how valuable is college basketball and it's, in its current state, is it losing value compared to where it was 10 years ago? It's a question we haven't really asked, and I don't think the answer is no, but it's one to at least ponder. And then the last part is, you know, especially specifically Gonzaga, what exactly happens to Gonzaga when Mark Few retires? I mean, he's getting old. Uh, Mm -hmm. He seems to have adjusted to this new landscape of NAL and, and the transfer portal pretty well. He's always done a good job of taking in transfers. And he's recruited really well in recent years. But at the same time, you know, it's kind of like the Duke situation where they've really only had one or two successful coaches in their entire program history. But also like Duke, compared to where it was before, you know, that program changing coach, I feel like they have enough money and enough, you know, support just, you know, administrative wise that they can be a sustainably good program from here on out. So hopefully, 
again, I just want it to work. I think it would be, it would be a lot of fun. And it's just a matter of, you know, if you're going to do this, do it right. And don't mess this up because it could change the way that conferences, you know, model themselves. That's, that's the biggest point. Don't mess it up. No one knows what the right move would, would look like necessarily. There's a lot of pieces that, that have to go into it. The financial piece being a big one, but whatever you do, get it right. By all means, get it right. Take more time, move at the right time. Some of that we won't be able to judge, you know, until we have the benefit of hindsight, but that's where I think your mark and his persistence in, you know, welcoming Colorado back in poaching Utah, which is a solid football team, has some other solid programs. And getting has, Arizona. Utah also has a big basketball potential too. They've yes. got quite the history of, in basketball dating back, you know, decades. Mm-hmm. I mean, over 50 years. I mean, they were in national championships and final fours back in the, the 40s and 50s. So they're another, you know, kind of sleeping giant that could have a sneaky good year under Craig Smith. I've got my eye on them. Uh, but yeah, they've added some interesting pieces that could be elite at both football and have their years in basketball. And then if you bring in another, you know, heavy hitter in college basketball, that that's going to be quite the league. Like it's a mid two thousands, big East level quality of a league. I'm glad you went there because that big East did play football as well. Was never mm-hmm. a great elite football conference, but was chaos was fun. They were games that people tuned in for. You had your, your West Virginia pit backyard brawls going oh, on. South Florida popped up. Rutgers here and there. Even UConn made some bowl Syracuse games. a couple times. Syracuse, that's right. Louisville was not bad in the Big East. And that's where I think the Big 12 might be heading, is the reborn, old, not, not even old Big East, but the Big East that you and I know and love from back in our, our childhood. Not, not the 80s one, the, the mid-2000s one. And I think that's a fine spot to settle in. The Big Ten and the SEC have their sights set on football domination. That's what they're going for. They'll have fun in basketball. They'll play. But the Big 12 can really carve out that niche as, hey, yeah, we'll throw someone into the party in the playoff mix because we get an auto bid. We'll have a second team, you know, here and there every couple of years. It'll be fun. But we're the basketball conference. We're planting our flag here. And that, to me, goes to the question that you were asking of, what is college basketball's place in this landscape? especially for the NCAA, where March Madness is its moneymaker. There have been a lot of questions about, you know, kind of existential things about football or concussions ruining it. Oh, is targeting ruining ruining football? Oh, not playing enough defense. What's going on there? Football's sticking around. We know that. Football's still going to drive the revenue, which is, again, why the the two deals that Yormark may or may not be shooting for by the end of the decade. Again, I love the approach. I love the enthusiasm. I just don't think it's going to work. Keep trying to get better at football, settle into that, you know, conference three spot and then go to town on basketball because you need to have something that sets yourself apart. Yeah. And I'm, I don't, I really like to learn more about, you know, how these negotiations work. And I'm also curious, you know, how much say do you have in the actual production of, you know, your conferences games when you sign these deals? Because I also would just love to see the Big 12 kind of get out from ESPN's being ESPN's afterthought. It's really frustrating that so many big games, especially in basketball, are on ESPN Plus. Nebraska ESPN this year. Yeah, I get it with uh, Peacock and some of these other streaming sites. I who knows what Pac-12 and all those other ones end up with. I get that they want to do more of that, but ESPN Plus is kind of 
you know, they've carved themselves out as this niche for if your nephew's the backup center at Stony Brook, like that's, it's good for the small schools and for very low budget production, but not for the best college basketball conference in the country. So, and honestly, I've also just thought that ESPN's production value in college basketball has been, been kind of lacking. So in the last, you know, five to 10 years. So (laughs) if, if they go to the market with it, will they have a say in how their product actually looks? They should. They should want to say. If you're the Big 12, do you keep any stake in ESPN or do you go all in on Fox and see if you can sneak in some CBS stuff to replace kind of the SEC and kind of what the Big Ten's doing? Well, I think at least in college basketball, CBS is very unique because of their massive position of controlling the entire NCAA tournament, which is the big moneymaker where I believe there's rules that they can pretty much put any school they want on CBS. It's just, you can only have five games max throughout the year. So that's why if you notice, it's usually like, if you look at Kentucky's schedule every year, the last three weeks, the last three Saturdays or Sundays of the year, they're always on CBS and never before that, except for usually the Louisville game and then the CBS sports classic. So I think Duke does something similar, even though I don't really remember seeing much of Duke on CBS. And the last time Duke was on CBS that I remember would have been the final four against Baylor or lead eight against Baylor, whatever game that was like, that's the last time I remember seeing Duke there. I'm sure they've been on there. Maybe they played Wisconsin there on CBS or maybe that was, Turner. I'm just saying in like yeah. in the regular season. I don't remember it in the regular season. I really don't. Wow. I, I, I guess I never thought of that. But I mean, still, it's, you know, the Pac-12 has games on CBS. Uh, they they can pretty much choose whatever. So I don't know how that factors in. But they are a huge portion of inventory for ESPN. And if ESPN was smart, they would treat this like they treated the Big East in the 80s and 90s where – you know, ESPN built themselves off of a really, really good college basketball conference and doing the right thing and showcasing them right. So hopefully, hopefully they kind of get back to that instead of just, you know, Fran Frischilla is their one guy that knows everything in, about the conference and then just kind of neglected after that. Good on Fran for doing that work. And he does have his tentacles everywhere across that conference. Let's get into the Big 12 on the basketball front a little bit more. I saw this from... Uh, Jeff Goodman, Maryland and Cincinnati of all schools held a secret scrimmage. Maryland won it by four. It was 74 to 70 Maryland. Curious about the future of Cincinnati. I am. We'll wait and see on Gonzaga. But let's hit the Kansas question. This has been hanging over our heads for feels like a decade. It's been, you know, six, seven years now. They got off scot-free. I'm just going to say it. They got off easy. They really did. They go from having five level one violations, which is the worst to one level three, which is the least severe. I'll get into that a little bit more later, but I just want your opinion. First of all, from the the Kentucky side, the vacated wins give the Wildcats the all-time wins record back. Are you going to hold on to it forever now? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) There's a chance that, yeah, they could actually hold on to it forever, but honestly, Ten years ago, when they got where they were the first team to—that was thirteen years ago now—when they were the first team to get to two thousand wins, I never really thought they would let go of it. So, mm. really says a lot about the run Kansas has been on and how Kentucky's 
not been exactly bad, but they're not winning 30 to 35 games a year like they used to. So it is big that they got that back. I think it is kind of a, a weird debate because now both schools have a lot of vacated wins. Cause I think Kansas has vacated wins in the past under Larry Brown. I'm just <laughs> assuming if Larry Brown's your coach that there's been vacated wins at some point. And Kentucky's also had to vacate plenty of wins in the past from fifties, sixties and the eighties, maybe even no, probably not really nineties, but Tubby didn't do anything. Did he? No, he was, <laughs> Good job, if you've seen you and it shows in his recruiting. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's exciting. I'm curious to see if it holds, but I think it at least hold for a year or two. So just depends on how things go for Kentucky here on out. But yeah, Kansas did get off pretty scot-free. I am, Glad to see at least wins were taken away, but it's just, it's a fitting end to this whole FBI NCAA saga that really just showed, you know, how toothless the NCAA is and how, I guess, just corruptible they, they can be both them and how they can corrupt the FBI. I think it honestly, if you go to a bigger picture here, it just feels like this shows a lot about it not to get way too deep, but just where we are in society, where it feels like a lot of people here kind of took it as like their chance to get famous or get close to celebrities with, you know, how some of these agents and other people involved acted in the matter. And now I'm wondering is, I mean, is it just too big to fail where it's like, you can't punish a school as big as Kansas and get away with it because they're worth so much. We're like, you know, when Kentucky got in big trouble in the late 80s, they weren't on TV for a while. They couldn't be in the NCAA tournament for four years. I don't know if you can do that nowadays with contracts and just the amount of money that is at stake with it. So I'm, I'm sadly not surprised, but I think it just says a lot more about, you know, where we're at with, with this sport. This is where I wish Landon was able to join us. He's off busy yeah. doing SID things because Oklahoma State, got slapped with the postseason ban. They had their reductions and everything. And Kansas just vacates the wins. They take down their 2018 Final Four banner. And that's basically it. Like, I get it self-served, what, a three-game suspension at the start of last season? But kind of like three, four, yeah. But kind of like the the Harbaugh-Michigan one against nobody, less than nobody, and somebody nobody's ever heard of before. Nothing happened. Conveniently back in time for the trip to Bahamas for Battle for Atlantis. Literally. (laughs) So this is where you're right in that the NCAA doesn't necessarily want to do this to Kansas. They want to do it to their Oklahoma States, which again, let's not poo-poo Oklahoma State, which isn't exactly a small basketball brand. That's a school with some history, with some tradition and some recent success. So making an example out of a, a good, not great team, even like an NC State sort of deal. But between what happened with Kansas now and what happened with my dearly behated uh, Tar Heels, the big programs have no consequences, none at all from the NCAA. But the other thing I think it says is just how little we want the federal government involved in college sports. And that it's a warning, I think, as we look at the NIL era, is that you can get the federal government involved. It might not be the best idea. Well, it sounds like the easiest way to... The scandals nowadays are just going to be involved with you know what we saw earlier in the summer with players gambling that seems to be the only thing you can't do anymore and that's smart it should be that way we should not have players gambling on college basketball even if it's not their school so 
I'm glad there's still at least one law, but <laughs> I'm just down the line. I'm excited for when they, I know HBO already had their big documentary, but I'm excited for the, well, now that this is all completely over, the real looking back, because the way the FBI acted at the beginning of this with the whole, <laughs> we have your playbook and they've got the flow charts and everything like they, I don't know if it's cult of celebrity or what, but they were in way over their heels there. And it just seemed like a waste of time. Although I'll give Kansas credit for this as well. Yes, they did some very bad things then. They should have been punished for them. But I'll credit Bill Self where Kansas really didn't take a dip during that time. And I think they didn't get the best recruits. And maybe Bill Self kind of changed his recruiting philosophy. It might have been before that really where he quit going after, you know, the top of the top one and done's as much and went for some of the low five stars, high four stars that are developmental multi-year guys, but they didn't take a dip. Like when North Carolina had this big scale hanging over their heads, they lost guys like Brandon Ingram that were initially heavy UNC lanes. Cause they didn't know if, you know, what happens if they get punished because there was no timetable like 2013 to 2015, those three years, North Carolina really took a hit and, wasn't exactly that good of a program. So credit to Kansas for not having a similar dip over these last few years. Even even if they did have, you know, three second round exits in that time, they still had pretty good teams. They did. It's unfortunate to admit. Um, also on the Kansas front, we should probably note on a college basketball show, uh, they landed the transfer of Arterio Morris from Texas. Uh, he's gone from Kansas too. Things went poorly. New information came out. He had transferred to, what was it, Garden City uh, Community yeah. College, I think it was. And he's off that roster, too. So Kansas is is down a guard. I did see this, though, Matt. Um, and I'll, I'll let you go with this. I know you got stuff to do. That's why you're dressed in your Sunday best. <laughs> Dewan Harris was named first team All-Big 12 for Kansas, along with Hunter Dickinson. Dickinson, okay, that makes sense. I'm sorry, Dewan Harris isn't that good. He's just not like Dewan Harris is what we all thought Stetson Bennett was. If he's the first team, all big 12, all conference point guard. I'm sorry. That is a terrible guard conference that. Which is, it's not, that's the crazy thing. The big 12, I, especially in a conference where you've got Houston in the same league and Baylor and some of these other teams that are bringing in some really talented guards. I, I don't see it. I get it. You know, he's the point guard on, you know, a team that's earned a one seed the last two years. So it makes sense that he's going to get that respect. But at the same time, is Kansas holding on to him too long? I don't know. Bill Self's been raving about him. There is value in having a point guard that knows his role and doesn't try to be something he's not, where he doesn't try to be a, a score first point guard. But at the same time, his one year at the helm with Dewan Harris, it seemed like last year, anytime he got matched up, like in normal games, he did great and was fine and the offense ran fine. But when he was matched up against elite point guards like an Anthony Black or even Kaysen Wallace against Kentucky, he won that game. But he really got his lunch eaten in that one by a good, you know, <laughs> defensive point guard that was a NBA draft pick. And there's going to be a lot more of those on Kansas's schedule this year. Is he can he hold his own against the best of the best? Because that's why Kansas kind of lost. Anthony Black was a big reason Kansas was yeah. bounced in the second round of the NCAA tournament last year. Uh, so maybe he takes that step up, but 
to put it lightly, I have doubts and I'm really excited for, for Landon to get back as well. Cause I know he's got some, uh, some, some big Kansas takes and we could do a whole episode on Kansas. We sure could. We might have we to, should, but <laughs> which, which by the way, Nebraska plays a game in three weeks from tomorrow, That's which crazy. is wild to think about. We are getting there. We are getting closer. We should probably take a break at this point. Matt, appreciate it. Have a great rest of your Sunday. Good, sir. Thank you. It's good to be back. Welcome again. Welcome back and uh, have fun flying solo this second half. I will sure try. He's Matt Hardesty joining me from uh, the great land of Wisconsin, talking some Kansas, talking some Gonzaga. We'll step aside when we get back. We'll talk a little bit more about just what Kansas got away with. What did they get their violations knocked down to? What were they before? And happy birthday, Coach Fred Hoiberg. What would I give Fred Hoiberg for his Wait. birthday? We'll talk about that and more as we continue on the Corner 3. You're listening to the Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. More college basketball analysis after this timeout. Back to the Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. That's right. We're back here on the corner three. Big thanks again to Matt Hardesty for joining me. Uh, we'll give him credit for being on the Allo VIP line where they understand the importance of exceptional service with local heart. I didn't shout out Allo at the beginning of the show. They do sponsor channel 951. If you're an Allo Fiber uh, member, if you have them for your cable, flip to channel 951 right now and you'll see my smiling mug. Good to see you. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, back to Kansas. That's what we're talking about. Uh, Kansas, the the uh, the infractions from the IARP case were handed down. Finally, we are done with this saga. So let's start with this. At the beginning of this process, Bill Self, Kansas head coach, was charged with or alleged to have committed five level one violations. Okay, level one violations According to the NCAA's bylaws, uh, the infraction process, level one, severe breach of conduct, violations that seriously undermine or threaten the integrity of college sports, violations that provide or are intended to provide a substantial or extensive recruiting, competitive or other advantage, and violations that are a substantial or extensive impermissible benefit. That's where you get things like lack of institutional control, academic misconduct, failure to cooperate with an NCAA investigation. Your, your catch-all unethical conduct violation of head coach responsibility rules, payment to recruits, we'll get back to that one in a second here, booster involvement in recruiting with member knowledge, intentional violations, and just the addition, the, the pileup of level two or level three violations. Okay, payment to players. That's what a lot of this is about. When you go back to Billy Preston, a uh, player that really didn't make an impact at all for Kansas. Don't even know if he stayed on campus all that long. He was a big part of this. But the other guy in question was Silvio DeSosa. It looks like DeSosa is actually pronounced DeSosa, though. Um, he was not able to play, wasn't cleared. He was an international uh, student who came in, never really got his situation figured out with his paperwork or his visa. It was a weird, weird deal. Um, Kansas thought he should have been eligible to play. So they played him and basically said, What are you going to do about it, NCAA? What are you going to do? And the NCAA, Tried. They tried to go after Kansas um, and Silvio DeSosa specifically. And all the NCAA could do, apparently, again, apparently all the NCAA could do was take wins away from the games he played in. So I think it was 16 or 17 games that DeSosa played in and Kansas won. 
in that 2017-18 season. Those wins are off Bill Self's record. Those wins are off of Kansas's record. And that's a part of this. Kansas can't claim that Final Four, which, okay, let me get into that for a second. That 2018 Final Four game, or Elite Eight game, to go to the Final Four between Kansas and my beloved Duke Blue Devils is still the only Duke game I have been able to attend in my life. That's the only game. And it doesn't count. That game no longer counts. You think, oh, great, cool. Austin's happy. Kansas doesn't get the win. Well, here's the thing. I was at the game. I know what happened. Bad call. Roger Ayers didn't rule correctly on a block charge, whatever, free Wendell. But Kansas won the game. I was there. As tough a pill as that is to swallow, as much as they shouldn't have won that game in overtime, Kansas won the game. I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. Now, they got blitzed in the Final Four. Uh, Villanova goes on to win that national championship. But that game happened. Kansas beat Duke. I don't want to tell you it happened, but it did. I was there. So were 20,000 other people, 18, 19,000 other people, and a million plus, I'm sure, that watched it on TV. What good does it do to take away those wins, to make Kansas take down that banner, vacate the appearance, when millions of people know what happened? They won the game. They were there. Matt and I have gotten into this before as well with Louisville. They had to vacate their 2013 national championship win. Uh, they played Michigan, I think, in the title game there. And the Cardinal, uh, Cardinals ended up winning. They had to vacate that national championship, had to take the banner down, had to scrub it from the records. But here's the thing. They won the game. It happened. It took place. You can't erase it from memory. You can't erase it from their bodies and minds. We're just not to that point as a society where we can wipe minds. The games happened. They were played. The results were there. Not giving the 14 other players, um, even the three or four assistant coaches on the bench, credit for what they did because of one rogue actor, a couple rogue actors, I don't always agree with. But this is where it gets tricky and where we need a better, more streamlined process. Kansas's players now don't deserve to be punished for Kansas flaunting the rules back a handful of years ago. Even though the head coach is the same, even though Bill Self is still in charge, it's not fair to these current players to make them deal with the, the repercussions and the ramifications of everything that happened before they were even getting recruited. Like, let's be honest, maybe some of these guys had started to hear from Kansas if they're, you know, in their fourth or fifth year, but their recruitment hadn't started in earnest. For some of those freshmen, it was still four or five years down the pipe. Those players don't deserve to get punished. Bill Self does. But how do you do that without punishing the players that are on this current team? You suspend Bill Self? Well, here's the thing. He's still at practice. Just because he can't coach in the game doesn't mean he's not still running drills at practice. Some coaches probably call into their locker room at halftime. I, I think they're supposed to be monitored and they can't do that. But it wouldn't shock me if these suspended coaches do call in at halftime. Wouldn't shock me to know Bill Self did that. Granted, Kansas, to Matt's point, has been good enough. He probably hasn't needed to do that necessarily. But if you're willing to, to play a player um, and drag the player's name through the mud, really, I mean, none of this was Silvio DeSosa's fault. Sure, maybe you can say, well, coach, I, I don't have the paperwork. I'm not cleared yet. If there's any question, 
Uh, I don't want to reflect poorly on the team. I don't want that to reflect on you. I'm just going to sit out till I know I'm clear. But this is a guy that came from Spain, Spanish, Spanish guy, Silvio de Sosa. Um, might be, might have been a language barrier to some degree at, at that time. A kid that came to the United States to play basketball. You know, he ain't come to school to play school. He comes to school to play basketball and swing chairs at people. Um, but that's another story for another time. It's hard for me to want to blame Silvio de Sosa for that. He was here to play basketball. That's what he wanted to do. The responsibility falls on Bill Self. I get it. De Sosa was a talented guy. Well, supposed to be one of those pieces that put Kansas over the edge back in that era. Clearly, he did. Made a Final Four with him. He helped. I get the temptation for Bill Self to want to utilize and play that guy. But I think, again, at the end of the day, the ultimate responsibility of the head coach is to his players, the ones on the team. Yes, you have your athletic director as your boss. Yes, you have the chancellor, the president, even your conference commissioner to some degree. But ultimately, if you are in the coaching business, you're in the young people business. You're, especially in college, you're in the young people business. Do right by them. Even if it, you know, is to seemingly your detriment. And it's hard because brownie points don't add up, right? Bill Self won those games. He wouldn't have banked an additional brownie point for every game Kansas played while Silvio de Sosa sat in street clothes on the bench. He wouldn't have gotten brownie points for that. But it doesn't mean it wasn't the right thing to do. Sometimes the toughest thing to do is the hardest thing to do. The other thing, to, to turn this to Billy Preston a little bit, to, to round out this segment, to turn it to Billy Preston, what happened with him was some of those nebulous NIL conversations, um, inducement being paid to go to Kansas. For a guy that didn't play, that didn't make an impact at all, looks so silly now. Like, why Billy Preston, of all people? Why him? And especially now in the NIL era, where that's maybe frowned upon to some degree, but it's legal. Happened out in broad daylight. There are rules saying this is permissible now. But it doesn't change the fact that Billy Preston was a highly rated recruit, that Kansas was attempting to use resources outside of its basketball program to get to play basketball for Kansas. Today, we don't bat our eyes at that. We don't. But to look back at it and say, oh, of course, Kansas got off fine. It's, it's, you know, it's okay that they did because Billy Preston didn't make a difference. He was supposed to. And then he got bogged down in all this stuff. You also can't say, oh, well, it's legal now. But it wasn't then. Judge the crime or lack thereof by the era in which it was omitted or committed. That's what you have to do. This was illegal, you know, back six, seven years ago. It was illegal two years ago, two years in June. You know, that's when we got the first real NIL rules. So Kansas deserved more of a punishment. The longer this dragged on, the less anything legitimate was ever going to happen to the Jayhawks. I know they have plenty of Kansas fans who are dancing on the IARP's grave right now saying, oh, yeah, no, nope, you're never going to get us. You can never pin us down. We're too big to fail. And I get it. Have your fun. Congratulations. You're still good. But come on. Kansas deserved more. North Carolina deserved more. If the sport wants to claim any sort of integrity. Plain and simple. Kansas needed to have more happen to it. So did North Carolina. All right. I'll get off my soapbox. Let's wrap up the show with something a little peppier, a little happier. Happy birthday, Coach Fred Hoiberg. I've got some gift ideas for the coach. 
I want yours. Let me know, 402-464-5685. Nyla, thank you for listening. I am back. It is official. I'm here with you for the next 15 minutes, and I guess I'll stick around for the next hour as well for the Husker Extra Hour. I'll be joined by Sam McEwen and Tom Chattel. Yes, uh, little baby Beckett is here. He has made his appearance. He's doing well. Mom is an absolute warrior. I'm proud of her. I love them both. It's hard being here today. It's one of the hardest shows I've ever done, having to to leave the two of them behind at the little one, just nine days old now. But I love it. I'm here talking about what I love to talk about. And we'll wrap up the Corner 3 uh, in just a moment here. You're listening to the Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. More college basketball analysis after this timeout. Back to the Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. That's right. Wrapping up the corner three here on 93.7. The ticket, the ticket FM.com. Appreciate uh, Matt Hardesty for jumping on, uh, joining me to talk some college hoops here. And again, we do this every Sunday. We'll be from three to four here on 93.7. The ticket, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Allo channel 951 as well. Happy birthday, Coach Fred Hoiberg. Happy birthday. What are we getting you? What can we get you, Coach? Let us know. Coach Hoiberg, if you're listening, 402-464-5685. Let us know what you want. It's uh, probably too late for us to go out and and get it, uh, if it's anything material. Um, But I have some ideas. Obviously, health for the team, right? Nebraska basketball on a bit of a roll, playing tough last year uh, before Emmanuel Bandamel and Juwan Gary went down. Bandamel with the knee injury, Juwan Gary with the shoulder injury. Knocked the group off track for a few weeks. They managed to find their footing and finish the season at 500 overall. So health goes a long way. Um, If I could gift 35% shooting from three, it'd be a little low for my liking, but 35% would go a long way. If I'm going to gift Coach Fred Hoiberg anything at all, though, I'm gifting him a second All-Big Ten player. There's no official poll like there is for Big Ten football, but every year, beat writers get together and they're asked for their submissions. They they rank the teams, how they think they'll finish. And they'll also give their projected all big 10 teams, a first and second team. Nebraska had one player on the list and that's Keisei Tomonaga. No surprise, absolute dynamite player out of Japan. Um, so that's Nebraska's one nod on the preseason team. I would get Nebraska a second player on the postseason. All Big Ten team is my gift for Fred Hoiberg. And really, you can't go wrong with any choice on the roster. My guess is it would come from your rink mast, Bryce Williams, Juwan Gary, maybe Josiah Alec type of range. But if any one of those guys would make Nebraska an interesting team if they played an All Big Ten level. If they're one of the top, probably not five, but top 10 or 15 players in the conference, if you add that to what Kese Tomonaga can do, I think giving Nebraska a second player at that level would go really a long way in getting Nebraska back to the postseason. Shout out my dad who says I would get Fred Hoiberg a postseason berth, even if it's only the NIT. Yeah, n- not wanting to be too greedy. Settling for the NIT is certainly fine at this point. Nebraska had an outside shot at it last year. The strength of schedule, uh, the net rating did Nebraska in a little bit there. But if Rinkmast is an all-Big Ten level performer, even if it's at a second-team caliber, 
I think he's done some good things. That means he's been a solid interior presence, probably means he's been able to stretch the floor and has been an offensive hub, similar to, but in a different way than Derek Walker and what he did for this team last year. If it's Bryce Williams, that means Nebraska found its secondary score. Really, that's what it means, is that Casey Tomonaga probably leads the way in scoring, but Bryce Williams is shooting upwards of 37, 38% from three-point range, is scoring, I would guess, 12, 15 points a game, probably, along with Casey there. He's not turning the ball over. He's playing solid defense. Bryce Williams is a guy I would really want to be that that second all-Big Ten piece for, for Nebraska. If it's Jawan Gary, I think he continues what he did last year. But shoulders a little bit bigger of a load. Sorry, no, no pun intended there with the uh, the shoulder injury to Juwan Gary. But if he hits his spot up threes, if he's a, a versatile, switchable defender, and he you know maybe takes a, a leap in his scoring numbers or playmaking numbers, that's a great kind of connective piece. And I think Juwan Gary being an All Big Ten caliber player after his transfer from Alabama would be huge for Nebraska. Josiah Alec, I don't know if he has that in him. But if he does, that's huge for Nebraska. He locked down probably that starting four spot. He's shooting 35% from three. He's up near the top of the conference in rebounding. And again, probably a really solid defender if he plays at an all Big Ten caliber level. It'd be neat to see someone like CJ Wilcher really come into his own and make a run at it. Jamarcus Lawrence in his first full year. Guys, I think have an outside shot that you could talk me into would be fun. Um, But the guys that they would have to pass to get to that level. Zach Eady, the unanimous, you know, preseason player of the year. That makes sense. Uh, Terrence Shannon in his fifth year at Illinois. Uh, Jameer Young, fifth year at Maryland. Uh, Boo Booey did come back for Northwestern. They lose Chase Adige, but Boo Booey comes back. And then some interesting guys, Julian Reese of Maryland, Dawson Garcia of Minnesota, AJ Hogard and Tyson Walker, both at Michigan State. And then Cliff Amori from Rutgers. That's the, uh, the preseason team there for you're all big 10. So yes, I would give Fred Hoiberg a second postseason all big 10 caliber player. I think having two of those guys has Nebraska in the NIT, maybe on the fringes of NCAA tournament contention, but what a big step up it would be for Nebraska to have two players, you know, make a postseason team. That'd be a huge testament to those guys in the coaching staff um, and their, in their development of that program in really a make or break year. It's a key year. The the same beat writers that voted on the preseason all Big Ten teams, like I said, also gave you a predicted order of finish. Purdue and Michigan State, the only two teams that got any first place votes. Purdue got 24 of the 28. Michigan State got four of them. Purdue finishes 20 points ahead in the poll. But there's a pretty clear separation. It's Purdue and Michigan State in a tier of their own, according to the writers. Then you had Maryland and Illinois separated by just three points for third and fourth. Wisconsin picked to finish fifth. Um, Then you have an interesting grouping with Indiana and Ohio State. Indiana picked to finish sixth. My gut tells me they would be higher than Wisconsin, maybe higher than Illinois too. Ohio State was atrocious. Five and 15 in conference last year, but they bring in a lot of talent, some really interesting pieces. Uh, Northwestern, Iowa, Rutgers, Michigan in a tier. Well, really it's Northwestern and Iowa in a tier. Rutgers and Minnesota in a tier. Nebraska picked to finish 12th uh, by these beat writers. Only given 90 points. They're ahead of Michigan, uh, not Michigan. They're behind Michigan, ahead of Penn State and Minnesota. If Nebraska finishes 12th, that tells me either once again, it's a sickly, disgustingly 
loaded Big Ten conference or things went awry. And Nebraska needs to avoid playing on Wednesday of the Big Ten tournament. You have to find a way to get to 10th, even even 8th or 9th, right? I think that's well within the realm of possibility for this team. I don't say this program yet because there's not a sustained program. But if last year was the first step in building a program, I think this team has the talent to get Nebraska out of that uh, Wednesday 11-14 or 12-13 play-in round. That'll do it for the Corner 3. It's good to be back. Thank you all for tuning in for the last hour. Big thanks to Matt Hardesty for joining me to talk some Gonzaga, to, to talk some Kansas. And that'll do it for this show. No idea what we'll talk about next week, but don't go anywhere. Because coming up next, it's the Husker Extra Hour. I will be joined by Sam McEwen first and then Tom Chattel. Talk some Husker bye week. Talk some Big Ten headlines. All that and more still ahead here on 93.7 The Ticket.